This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shops, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Oscar Edmondson and I'm joined today by Katie Balls and Kate Andrews. So, Liz Truss seems to be haunting Rishi Sunak, with Keir Starmer today at PMQs going on the attack, asking if the Prime Minister will remove the whip. Um, here's what he had to say. In search of fame and wealth, she's taken to slagging off and undermining Britain at every opportunity. She claimed, she claimed that as Prime Minister she was sabotaged by the deep state. She also remained silent as Tommy Robinson, that right-wing thug, was described as a hero. Why is he allowing her to stand as a Tory MP at the next election? So, Katie, what's Truss been up to? Well, this all goes back to Liz Truss's appearance last week at CPAC. Now... In recent years, and Kate will know more about this than me, but CPAC has become, I think, more of a Trump loving than a general gathering of like-minded conservatives. And Liz Truss was part there because she has a book coming out on how to save the West. And if you look at the publishers, one is Bite Back, which a respected publisher in the UK, but not famous for big advances if you want to get an advance for your book. Yeah. Um, the other is an American publisher. And I think the American publisher does suggest that her main focus for this book is an American audience. Mm. And therefore, she's going to be going out there a fair bit, I think, and trying to tap into the American market. Now, to be fair to Liz Truss, she, I think, has always been very interested in America and the Republican movement. She, on this trip, appeared at various events. I think probably the most memorable is a panel or at least an interview with Steve Bannon. And this was when he brought out the FT and, God forbid, The Economist. (laughs) And this trust suggested that these were tools or allies of the deep state, which led to much mockery back in the UK. She also got in some trouble because Steve Bannon talked about Tommy Robinson, the far right figure, in a very praiseworthy way, describing as a hero. And Liz Truss did not intervene, which we talked about previously on the podcast. Probably in terms of the Tory party, what offended them more was less her not saying anything on Tommy Robinson, partly because I think lots of Tory... MPs and perhaps some voters think Liz Truss is a bit flat-footed. She's not that good at thinking on the spot. Mm-hmm. We slightly saw that during the premiership. So I would say more than not, almost, not, they don't think the silence suggests that she deeply agreed. Obviously, she should have said something, but I, I think there's a feeling there's not too much malice there. Instead, I think the comments have really irked people, and this is what Keir Starmer brought up at PMQs, was um, she suggested that Nigel Farage should join the Tory party help fix the country. She said to Steve Bannon, who obviously used to be Donald Trump's right-hand man, that he should come over and sort Britain once he was finished sorting out America. <laughs> and and you put all these things together. And I think I've spoken to plenty of Tory MPs who are pretty horrified by this. You know, I, I, in the magazine this week, I speak to someone and say, the less said about it, the better. You know, like, leave them to it. But I think you've seen Labour say that she should lose a whip for not saying anything on the Tommy Robinson issue. Rishi Sunak has defended her there, saying he does not think those are her views. At PMQs, you had Keir Starmer saying, 
why are you letting this person stand to be an MP, a Tory MP in the next election? And trying to uh, ultimately embarrass Rishi Sunak through Liz Truss. Now, this goes back to one of Labour's favourite ways of attacking the Tories, which is just to mention Liz Truss. They think she polls very badly. They like to remind voters about the disastrous mini budget and probably they think you know this is just a gift and an easy thing to go on the attack of however I think number 10 would have been more uncomfortable had Keir Starmer devoted all, all of his questions to Lee Anderson mm. and kept that running in that way yeah. rather than almost deviating and going for Liz Truss and Nigel Farage um, and Katie Nigel Farage just hit back on some of the stuff that Keir Starmer was saying um, can you take us through that yeah so Keir Starmer was attacking Liz Truss, saying that ultimately she was too radical as an implication to be in the Tory party and criticising her for the suggestion Nigel Farage should join and therefore criticising Nigel Farage. Nigel Farage has enjoyed the publicity and has caused hit back and said that he that ultimately Starmer doesn't understand his audience. He doesn't understand that lots of Labour voters care about the issues he cares about, such as reducing immigration. And I think what is interesting is just if you think about the trajectory of Keir Starmer, there was a period when you know, I think he was quite keen not to, I suppose deviate from the Tory line on some issues so if you think about you know leading on how immigration was high and so forth and I think it I don't think he's changed his position on this per se but certainly it feels as though perhaps because of this stable poll lead he's in a place now where he wants to push the Labour line on culture wars where he is quite happy to attack Nigel Farage in a way where I think he was a bit meeker in terms of his behaviour a few months ago. Yeah. Kate you are an American. What what have you made of uh, Liz Truss's exploits across the pond? Well, I think to to Katie's point, I mean, I'll I'll say it rather bluntly. I think she wants to sell books, and I think that she wants the airtime. And what better way to get airtime than holding up the FT and saying it's a friend of the deep state? I mean, I'm sure the FT are delighted. Um, the FT political editor did tweet to thank Liz Truss for the publicity. It's fantastic publicity. It's also really quite remarkable. You know, I I think one of the, gosh, one of the most disappointing things about the the Liz Truss saga, and and that's a long list, is that we are in a place now where, where Liz Truss really seems to be going against a lot of things that we know that she truly holds true. So recently, the Growth Commission, which we know that she's a big part of, she's a, you know, the face of it, she's backing it has been quite anti-migration recently, saying reduce migration, increase the prosperity of Britons. This is not the view of Liz Truss. Certainly not the Liz Truss that we knew. Maybe she's changed her mind recently. I couldn't speak to that. But it must be a very recent change. This is a Liz Truss who was ready to boost growth figures based on more net migration. This is a Liz Truss who never spoke out against migrants previously. And, And now she finds herself in this very strange position where, where to garner attention, she's, you know playing into that Trumpism, which I also, you know, on recollection from from my memory, she very often rejected. Liz Truss wasn't a populist. She actually really believed in doing things that people might disagree with or that were counterintuitive or not obviously popular because she thought that that was how you promoted free markets often. That was how you got a more prosperous economy. You you played into the counterintuitive argument. Now we see her going for that very baseline level. And uh, it, it, it doesn't actually feel particularly authentic. And maybe that's part of the problem here is that to Katie's 
this point, nobody thinks that Liz Truss agrees with Tommy Robinson. And it's much harder to go after somebody for what they didn't say than what they did say. Liz Truss did not say anything nice about Tommy Robinson. She did not agree with his views. And she, and she also said in that discussion, because they talked about Islam, you had Steve Bannon quoting Nigel Farage saying, you know, Islamists are taking over. And she talked about the Rochdale by-election. But then she did say, you know, the majority of people in this country don't have those views. Absolutely. So in a way, she she wasn't, I think, making some of the arguments that others would make. No, she certainly wasn't. And, 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 and that feels right. You know, that's not the kind of thing Liz Truss has ever done. She's never kind of played into this identity politics, but she's finding herself in these increasingly uncomfortable positions because she is actually leading into an area of politics that I think is keeping her in the news. It's keeping her part of the news agenda. She's obviously been in the headlines, but they're not necessarily things she believes. And, uh, you know, she, she put herself in an uncomfortable position and also the prime minister. I'm not sure she'll be upset about the latter, but everybody <laughs> found themselves in an uncomfortable position because she is in uncharted waters. This isn't the kind of thing that she usually does because it's not her politics, but she's definitely leaning into it. And she has a book to push. Mm. And the thing she hasn't done yet is she's clearly leaning to that American audience. And we'll have to see what's in the book. But Liz Truss as foreign secretary has always been incredibly hawkish. Mm -hmm. She's always been of the view that you have to offer a lot of support to stop Putin. Um, Very pro giving support to Ukraine. She had obviously that meeting with Lavrov, which was meant to give him a dressing down. I don't think it quite worked in the way she wanted it to. She tried. She's been very pro-Taiwan. And completely anti-China, very hard line. And yes, as you say, pro-Taiwan. So in terms of that Republican movement about stopping aid and questioning aid going to Ukraine should have to do quite the 180 (laughs) to get anywhere near that. And we haven't seen signs of that yet. And the last thing I would say is that at the moment, it is Trump or bust in America. We see the way these primaries are going. Nikki Haley, the only challenger left to Donald Trump, is trying her best. And it's not she's not going to be successful. Donald Trump very much looks like he's going to be the nominee. In America, it's a very binary system. You have your Democrat, you have your Republican, and that's it. And it actually means that party capture is quite easy. Katie said the past few years, CPAC has been a Trump loving absolutely correct because Donald Trump has become the Republican Party. It's remarkable to people like me who grew up in a, in a very different era where to be Republican didn't mean tariffs and mm. trade wars and you know it, it it didn't mean a lot of the things frankly that Donald Trump stands for it, it didn't mean being anti-migrant by any means and um, it meant embracing American values and, and anybody who wanted to do that but Donald Trump dominates the Republican Party right now and if you want to have traction there you have to lean into it I think the question for Liz Truss to Katie's point about foreign policy there where she is so so staunchly, you know, pro-defending these small democracies that exist in very hostile areas. Is she willing to lean in further? We can only hope she's not. Mm. And Kate, looking to next week when Chancellor Jeremy Hunt will announce his budget, we expect he will have made his final decision on what's going to go in the March the 6th budget by the end of the week. But what do we know so far? We know that the Chancellor has been trying to roll back some very pro-tax cut comments that came from himself and also the Prime Minister in February. There was a weekend where both of them did comment pieces for major Sunday papers, basically saying, here we go, 
the big tax cuts are coming. You know, this is the agenda of a conservative government. I think what Jeremy Hunt will have realized is that he simply doesn't have the scope to deliver on that. The prime minister still likes to talk about tax cuts as recently as the past few weeks. Jeremy Hunt has been rolling that back. And we now expect that we're not going to see major cuts to income tax as was expected. There was a huge debate last year about inheritance tax. Could the Tory party do something meaningful there to signal their values? That seems to have been completely scrapped. To be fair, that was always a debate within the Tory party. There were a lot of MPs saying, go for it. There were others saying, this is going to send the wrong signals. We need to do a tax cut for your average worker. Always a debate, but it seems both are pretty much off the table now. We might be looking at further cuts to national insurance and extension of what we saw in the autumn statement, but there isn't going to be as much money, we don't think, as there was in the autumn statement, where Jeremy Hunt was able to do tax cuts for workers and also meaningful tax cuts for business investment. There's been a lot of talk in the past few weeks about about good news, lower borrowing costs, lower debt interest payments. Uh, the Institute for Fiscal Studies, however, did a briefing, a pre-budget briefing yesterday, where I think they really pointed to the huge pitfalls in these arguments. So borrowing might be 10, 11 billion pounds lower than expected in the last forecast, but the government is still borrowing a staggering sixty-three billion pounds more than was it was forecast to do so when Rishi Sunak was still chancellor. Similarly, debt interest costs are expected to be lower, maybe by about ten billion pounds. But compared to March twenty twenty, when interest rates were on the floor, it's fifty-five billion pounds larger than was estimated then. So we have substantial costs, and that doesn't even factor in all the spending promises the government has made around the NHS, around childcare. There just isn't that much money to play with. And that's a controversial statement because there is plenty of money to play with. We are taxing and spending at record highs. If you wanted to cut tax, you really could, but you'd have to cut spending. And it's not terribly obvious that come March 6th in this budget, the government is going to be willing to put its hands up and say, we've been on a bit of a spending spree. It's not the kind of thing you want to do heading into an election. But of course, keeping taxes at a record high is also not the kind of thing you want to do heading into an election, putting the chancellor in a very difficult position. It remains my view that he's going to have to cut the overall tax burden, which was heading for a record, a post-war high, a record high, in order to say that he's cutting tax. It's going to be very interesting to see how he makes that add up. I think we're going to be looking at a lot of technicalities, a lot of just about on-the-edge calculations to make that possible. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Kate. And thank you very much for listening.